healthcare has faced some of the biggest challenges in the past three years, from a pandemic to a workforce shortage. Today, we take the temperature of this industry with the CEO of one of New Hampshire's largest medical centers. I'm Matt Murray, Executive Editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, Chief Growth Officer of Granite Media Group and founder of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. So Nathan, uh-huh, yes. we're going to be heading into the fall soon. Mm. And as much as I love the fall, we're parents. We know what's coming. Uh, the sniffles. The sniffles. <laughs> the, the somehow my children get a little cold and my wife and I end up with Ebola somehow. Oh it's just. Oh my god! I mean, at least it's, it's not as bad because now you know we got amplified when it gets to you guys. Exactly, we have oh a teen and a preteen, god. but you, mm. you're right in the red zone. Yeah, and currently you're the hot zone. Currently, as we're recording, I'm, we're trying to figure out like, does my daughter have allergies this week, or does she have a cold? And either way, it's she now like has this like permanent nasally voice, which I'm like, you know what, kid, <laughs> you didn't wake up with boogers today. You better like. Chill out with the nasally voice. Like, she's got us wrapped anyways. You know this. But, like, <laughs> we're, yeah, I'm like, all right, she's already an actress. She knows how to, like, get what she needs when she's sick or when she's not feeling well. That's right. Like, oh, that uh, little voice that yeah. comes out. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, <sighs> the pandemic has just added another layer to the whole sick kid oh conundrum. God, yeah. Right? When you're trying to figure out, how sick are they? Are they really sick? Are they just tired? Do they not want to go to school? Right. It's, is Do there we a need temperature to test for COVID? <laughs> and now you have to break out the COVID test. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, for I the know. love of God. Because not only that, <sighs> if they test positive, it's the whole family that's going down for two yeah, weeks. Right. Oh, my God. I know. I know. And we're not looking forward to that. But I was funny. I was in the linen closet the other day and I was like, oh, look, COVID tests. We haven't used those in a while. I know. Oh, hopefully it we won't have It was a nice break. But yeah, it was. But it'll, start you know. of school's coming. Yeah. And that means we're all <laughs> heading towards the well, sick wars. And my daughter starts uh, preschool this year. And so that's whole new zero. host of germs. Oh. Yeah. Like by first grade or second grade now coming up, my, my son has, you know, they're they're boogery, but not like right. you know in close proximity boogery as they are when they're in preschool. So we got and a they, whole another petri dish coming home. Oh my! I'm God. So excited. My wife and I were <laughs> never so sick in our whole lives as mm-hmm. when the boys were in that preschool kindergarten phase. <sighs> they just bring everything home, and you think, oh, I've got an immune system that's lasted thirty five, forty years. Yeah, it's not built for that. No, we're just gonna start spraying them down. With <laughs> when they get home, that's all. Be like, everybody outside, get your clothes off. We're going to spray you down before you come in. Well, <laughs> today we get to speak to someone who knows full well yeah. of all the healthcare issues yeah. parents and the general population are facing. So yeah. I think we should dive into this. I'm looking forward to it. Our guest this week is Colin McHugh. Colin is the president and CEO of Southern New Hampshire Health and a healthcare executive with more than 25 years of experience. Prior to this role, Colin was senior vice president and chief value officer for Solution Health the regional health system created when Southern New Hampshire Health and Elliott Health System combined in 2018. While with Solution Health, Colin stepped in as interim president of Southern New Hampshire Health in 2020, leading the organization through a leadership transition, the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, and the implementation of the EPIC electronic medical record system. Prior to joining Southern New Hampshire Health and Solution Health, he served in various executive leadership roles with Maine Health, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, and Cinernet. 
He holds a Master's of Business Administration from the University of New Hampshire and a Master's of Arts from the University of Connecticut. Colin, welcome. Great. Great Whew. to be here today. Thank well, you for having me. It's our pleasure. Quite the bio. And, How are um, you even still standing? I know. <laughs> and, well, you know, number one, you showed up, so that's good. Uh, and number two, you're still in healthcare, so and sort of post-pandemic, new world, uh, so that's good. Um, why don't you, before we dig in and, and, you know, make you sweat a little bit and maybe a little PTSD <laughs> here, uh, give us an overview, if you would, of Southern New Hampshire Health for our sure, listeners. Sure, happy to do so. Thank you. So Southern New Hampshire Health, we're based in Nashua, New Hampshire, and we serve the greater Nashua area. I think, um, you know, when you look at our footprint, we have 70 medical practices across our geography. Oh, wow. We employ more than 300 providers. Uh, we also operate a 188-bed medical center. So uh, we're quite a busy health system. Uh, we serve many, many p- patients every day. We have a very busy emergency department. We also operate an 18-bed behavioral health unit on our West Campus. So we really span the whole continuum of care. As wow. you mentioned in the intro, we're part of Solution Health, which is the regional company that brought Elliott and Southern New Hampshire together. Mm. And so there are partners in Manchester, and we share a number of services with one another to hopefully um, provide a, a better um, overall uh, infrastructure and scale to make sure that we can provide the most affordable healthcare we can um, and leverage administrative and clinical scale nice. across the two communities. That seems to be a model that... Um whether in a you know smaller community between Nashua and Manchester or in a larger sense, uh, you know from hospitals in larger cities, that seems to be a, a model that really works well. Yes, for sure. You're seeing more and more health systems coming together really to generate that business scale, mm-hmm. whether it's back office functions, but even in a state like New Hampshire, making sure that we can leverage the clinical expertise across a broader geography. And another important part of our um, of our system is we have a longstanding relationship with Mass General. So, oh, excellent. Yeah, so we were Great. the first affiliate of Mass General's in New Hampshire. And so we have Mass General providers that come to Nashua and see patients. And so we coordinate care with them through that arrangement as well. That's fantastic. Yep. Excellent, excellent. So um, you rolled into this role, as it were, uh, kind of uh, around the pandemic. You've been through, as we alluded to in your bio, a number of uh, milestones, including the pandemic. Um, tell us a little bit about what that's been like in terms of since you've been in this leadership role and uh, and what you've been up to. Sure, happy to do so. So as, as was mentioned, I spent the better part of 2020 right at the beginning of the pandemic uh, stepping into the leadership role through the departure of a CEO. Mm-hmm. And so within that, I had to you know step in and quickly try to establish trust with you know, the 20, uh, 2,500 or so employees we have across the system and our providers and a board of trustees. So, And how did you go about doing that? I mean, I, I, let's dive into that. I mean, talk about a leadership challenge. You're stepping in when we're facing a crisis of a global level that no one knew what was where it was going to lead. Healthcare was on the very front lines and experiencing such pain both financially, emotionally, there was burnout happening left and right among workers. Um, that's a lot for any organization to undertake, never mind someone stepping into, you know, becoming the new leader, which change is always hard no matter what. So how did you go about during this very intense time? Because you had to quickly win people yep. over. Because yep. the, the, 
organizations needed strong leadership during this time. How did you go about doing that? Yeah, thank you. Very, it's a very important question and one I've, I've had to think about a lot mm-hmm. just in terms of how I developed as a professional. I think when I stepped into the role, uh, first and foremost, I said I was going to be authentic in that role, recognizing that I didn't have all the answers. Um, actually, I had very few of the answers. Mm. And so very quickly, I, I established a, a relationship with the leadership team and try to establish a very transparent and authentic uh, relationship with that group of people. And then from there, it was around making myself available to the people and our providers. And again, trying to establish transparency Mm -hmm. and um, authenticity in communication. And so I think generally, to this day, people generally know where they stand with me uh, and they know what's on my mind. Uh, I think it's important for leaders to share things about themselves so that they know, people know that who you are as a person Um, because I think that's important. People want to know that they can trust and believe in the person that's leading the organization. What were you sharing with them that helped you think bridge that to get to to where they were being perceiving you as your authentic self? Sure. It was was not sugarcoating things. Mm -hmm. I, I think healthcare providers knew they were up against the wall and it was a matter of, um, affirming that, making clear that you understood that and also trying to break down barriers so their lives would be as normal as could be through mm. a, a pandemic, recognizing that we're asking a tremendous amount of people through that. And, and we do to this day. So um, I think it was just a matter of really trying to make sure that you're identifying with people, uh, listening to them, and then letting them, showing that you care by acting. And to give people a, a scope, I mean, you talked about the, the, the system, but how many employees do you have? We, we have about 2,500 employees all together. Holy moly. Yeah, so we're a large organization. Um, a lot of, we have a lot of per diem. We have a lot of part-time. Mm-hmm. We have the whole gamut of, of a professional from the individuals that support our environmental <laughs> services all the way up to neurosurgery. Right. So uh, we, we've run the full gamut in terms of an employee workforce. What were some of the cr- critical decisions that you and your team made that helped to guide the system through this very turbulent time? So I, I think it, going back to 2020 um, with, the, with the pandemic and frankly with Epic, that was probably the single biggest implementation the organization has gone through where we literally took five different electronic health records and consolidated to one for the entire system. So it was a mammoth effort. Uh, to pull all of that off. Because we're talking thousands upon thousands of records. Yes, yes, uh, for sure. So I think what I think what we established was quickly our priorities. We knew coming out of the gate that our priority was our people and our patients. And so we did all we could do to recognize that and recognize people, a lot of communication. On the, on the EPIC front, uh, we had to come up with novel and innovative ways to roll out an electronic medical record when there was still social distancing and people not being able to travel and, and get to places. So it was um, being innovative, being flexible, recognizing that we're going to have to do things differently. Mm-hmm. And people embraced that change. How did you help your employees through this? I mean, everyone was under so much stress in general, I mean, just me working from home as a journalist, you know, and being a parent and all that was stressful. I wasn't on the front line trying to, you know, putting my life on the line, helping people to survive this and dealing with what they were dealing with. How did you help your employees through that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I'd be, and I'd probably be 
um, over embellishing if I said that we could do a ton. Mm -hmm. There were people, healthcare workers were really up against the wall. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think everyone uh, rose to the occasion. They recognized the importance of what they're doing for the community. And I think as, a, as leaders, we went out of our way to make sure that people felt appreciated, that uh, the community understood the, what healthcare workers were up against. Frankly, we got a ton of uh, support from the community where meals were brought in for healthcare workers. And it was just a, a, sort of an outpouring of support from the community, recognizing these folks were literally putting their lives in, in harm's way, especially when you thought about what we knew about the pandemic at the beginning. Oh, my word, so, yeah. Um, so there was a tremendous amount of rallying from the community and the business community, frankly, supporting healthcare workers. And, um, and so that, that, I think that went a long way, but here we are now a couple years in <laughs> and there's not quite that same level of um, right. people have kind of moved on. Mm. And so, uh, so we still have some of the um, aftermath of that. People are still tired, I think, from just what's transpired over the last couple of years. And, you know, I think healthcare workers need to f still understand that they're appreciated and, um, and that their sacrifices are understood. Related to that, I mean, one of the biggest challenges now facing our business community in general is our workforce shortage. I mean, we're at record low unemployment rates and when hiring is having a tough time. Can you talk about what that's been like as a healthcare institution? You run 24-7. You're dealing with people who have been, a lot of people fled um, the industry after the pandemic. And, you know, they just got burnt out. Um, and it, the number of folks coming in are not at, at the same rate. There's a lot of competition for talent. Can you talk about, from your perspective, what is the severity of this workforce shortage for healthcare? And how are you, your team, and your health system dealing with that? Great question. I think, you know, that there is um, the amount of pressure on the workforce right now in healthcare in particular, I think, is extraordinary. Probably like it's never been seen before. Uh, I think what we decided on as a leadership team was that even despite our financial challenges, which mm -hmm. were extraordinary, we still had to invest in our workforce. And so working with leadership and our board of trustees, we were still able to uh, invest financially in our workforce, recognizing that we were in a competitive labor market. And so we made, um, we made those decisions, which were hard, but they were the right thing to do. Uh, we've also invested a lot in employee retention programs and, again, putting, making concerted efforts to make sure people know that they're valued and um, in tangible, visible ways. And what are some of those ways? I mean, a lot of our listeners, our employers are dealing with the yep. same thing. How do you engage your workforce to make them want to stay? So how are you doing that? So it's, what's interesting is we're, um, for, from a nursing perspective, we're a magnet um, hospital, which means we have a certain approach to how we engage with our nurses. And so with our magnet designation and our, and our chief nursing officer, we have a great way of engaging nurses so that they feel like they're part of the decision-making process and having an influence over how patient care is being uh, provided across our system. And so uh, with that, we have very focused ways of bringing our nurses to the table and listening to them in a very structured way and then having accountability that what their, what their input is is actually being acted upon. And so it's a whole framework in terms of how we work with our nurses. So that's just one example. And that takes time and commitment and really believing in the work that you're doing. Because uh, at the end of the day, they're the frontline caregivers. And if they're not feeling heard, uh, 
it, it's a difficult place to come to work every day, especially recognizing that they have options. You had mentioned, um, you know, the financial stress, um, and that is universal throughout the healthcare system. Can you talk about the financial stress that hospitals were already under before the pandemic hit, what the pandemic did, and what that recovery is still looking like? Yep. So, you know, I would say our single biggest um, challenge right now is wage pressure. Mm-hmm. And especially being in southern New Hampshire, we're dealing with the Massachusetts mm-hmm. labor market yeah, as well. Northern Massachusetts. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, that is probably the single, and that's not a new phenomenon. Right. We've, we've no. struggled with that dynamic for a long time. Uh, but, you know, wage pressure is certainly um, top of mind. We're also finding, and Matt, you touched on this before, a lot of people left the healthcare workforce where they could go to other industries and frankly make more money and not put themselves in harm way, mm-hmm. harm's way working in an inpatient hospital facility. So um, the labor has certainly been a huge driver of, of what we've been dealing with as, as an industry for some time. Certainly the pandemic made that um, a much more difficult situation especially as people stopped coming to uh, and accessing services because they were social distancing and, and deferring care uh, because of what was going on in, in society at large. And some of what got shut down were some of the things that were elective that would have brought major, that are more revenue generating. Than yeah, others. exactly. So there were, there were periods of time where we weren't doing elective surgeries, which is a, a huge revenue driver and helps us cover our costs uh, in a significant way. And so hospitals across the country were dealing with that. And so, um, you know, that's just one example. We saw a lot of people stop coming in for office visits because of that and chronic care being delayed. So um, it, was, it was far reaching, uh, but certainly the pandemic, you know, made that f- far more challenging. So what's it like trying to recover from all that? Have you recovered yet? What are the financials looking like? And when you talk about the wage pressure, can you get, also give us an idea of, you know, how much more? are you having to pay to get the folks you need? Yeah, so uh, in terms of recovery, I would say that we're starting to f- work ourselves out of it. We're, ser- we're certainly seeing volumes pick back up where we saw pretty significant drops in value volumes during the pandemic. People are coming back for healthcare services. Uh, but we don't know that we've established what that new norm is uh, for people accessing the healthcare system. We're seeing a lot more emphasis on virtual care and we're also seeing um, other market competitors coming in and trying to fill some of the some of the space out there um, in the community. So uh, we, I don't know that we've fully settled in on the new norm in terms of um, the larger healthcare environment, but I would say that volumes are coming back strongly, which is great. Uh, but we're still seeing the significant wage pressure, which I don't see going away. So we've got a lot of work to do uh, as it relates to positioning ourselves for the future and the long term. And so that's where hopefully becoming more efficient with administrative services and, and the, the cost of doing providing health care, if we can continue to chip away at that, you know, that will, that will be um, fundamental or key to our future. We'll be right back. New Hampshire Fiscal Policy Institute's 8th Annual Conference will be held at the Grapponi Conference Center in Concord, New Hampshire on Monday, October 16th. The conference, titled Tackling Workforce Challenges and Strengthening Economic Security, will feature leading policy experts and bring together New Hampshire decision makers, business and community leaders, advocates, journalists, and concerned citizens 
to examine cross-cutting issues impacting all Granite Staters and discuss effective policy solutions. Learn more and register at nhfpi.org conference. Okay, we are back with Colin McHugh, President and CEO of Southern New Hampshire Health. Colin, um, we've so far talked a lot about um, your experiences so far in this role, a lot of intense stuff. It's been an intense number of years uh, in, in this industry, in this field. Um, I want to talk about you for a little bit because it takes a certain type of person to be able to lead teams through a pandemic and all of these other, uh, you know, the the electronic medical records uh, implementation, all of these big things. So, who are you, I guess, as a leader, and where does uh, where has your either training as a leader or inspiration as a leader, where does that come from to uh, to help you now to lead teams like you are? Great, thank you for that question. You know, first and foremost, I grew up in a healthcare family. Um, my mom was a nurse. My dad worked in hospital dietary. And so from a very early age, I've been sort of part of the healthcare environment. Neat. And so dinner time every night, we talked about healthcare. <laughs> My mom would usually complain about the food that was being served in the calf. So, uh, <laughs> I uh, see but, that that could have been a problem. But, oh, so I've always boy. had sort of this general desire to be in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that um, first and foremost, I'm a team player. And I think that uh, being able to lead teams uh, requires someone with a team orientation, recognizing that it takes every member of the team in order mm. to accomplish the result. It's no single person. And sometimes that's hard for the brash CEO to understand. Uh, <laughs> but we really are. It's a team sport when you get right down to it, especially in it's such a large and complex industry like healthcare. It's impossible for me to know all the levers that need to get pulled in order to be successful. So I think it's a true desire to be um, a team player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think it's about uh, servant leadership. Mm-hmm. My job really is there. Yes. My job is to serve members of the team, make sure that I'm breaking down barriers that they're experiencing so that it's impacting their teams uh, and their ability to provide patient care. So it's a team orientation. I think it's a recognition that as the CEO and the, and the, and the lead executive, you're there to support others. The other big piece and putting all of that aside is you have to be thinking about the future. And so what is your what is your future vision? What is your strategy to get there? And so as a CEO, those are sort of that's sort of the balancing act. It's creating a team environment where people are working together toward a common goal. Uh, it's also about making sure that you have a vision for the future so people know where you're going and communicating that effectively. Nice, nice. Um, did you grow up in New Hampshire? I did. I grew you did. Up, I did. I grew up on the west side of Manchester. Oh, nice. Yep. Graduate of West High School. There it is. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I'm from this community, and my actually my first job was at Catholic Medical Center. I was going to ask you that yep. too. So, thanks yep. for filling that one yep. in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Catholic Medical Center. Um, working for Sister Margaret Ahern, who oh, uh, who was a, a Catholic Medical Center executive, and she ran all of the community health programs for mm-hmm. the hospital. And so that was my foray into healthcare. Oh wow! So you um, you really have been in this since the beginning. Um, and when you went to uh, when you went to school, well, you got your your MBA uh, from UNH, and you have a Master's of Art as yeah. well. Is that also with a healthcare focus? Yes. Yeah. So yep. So it was a health science uh, focus at the University of Connecticut. Okay. 
And so um, with that, I actually, my first job coming out of UConn was going to work for Blue Cross and Blue Shield of New Hampshire. Uh-huh. And at the time we were developing programs for chronically ill members, helping them uh, better self-manage their chronic conditions. Mm. So that was my foray into healthcare, taking that health science background. And then over time, probably over the span of 10 years, I gravitated toward the business side of things. Yeah. And that's when I went to UNH, got the MBA and um, and I've really been on the business side of things since. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, you talked about, you know, that you came from a family involved in healthcare. So it means that interest could have gone in many different ways. What drew you to the administration and business side of, of healthcare? What is it about that problem solving aspect that draws you? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I think there's, a there's a really important element of wanting to serve, Mm-hmm. And I think generally people who work in healthcare, whether it's some, uh, the individual um, working in the um, cafeteria wanting to serve, nurses wanting to serve patients, doctors wanting to serve patients, I think it, I do think it's a it's a it's a calling to serve. Mm-hmm. I feel very strongly about that, um, and, and it's also um, I believe a, a calling to want to work as part of a team. So uh, everything in healthcare requires teamwork and it also requires sort of this uh, desire to serve others. So I think from a very early age, that's kind of how I was wired. And I think people who have known me over the years will say that that captures a lot of who I am as a person. There has, on all leaders during this time, it was a heavy load on shoulders. And it's a time where doubt can definitely come into play burnout, uh, the stress of it all. How do you deal with that as a person when you're leading an organization through so many challenges? How do you keep yourself going and how do you get through those really tough times? So, you know, first and foremost, I have a very supportive spouse. Mm -hmm. My wife is, we've been married for 27 years now. Um, I don't know that I could have pulled this off earlier in our marriage with young kids Mm. because this job really is all-encompassing. My kids are adult age now, which allows me to focus a bit more on the work. Uh, But having a supportive spouse, there's no way I could do that, do this without without her. Um, You know, every day it's a, we debrief on the day. She's right there with me and wants to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, But I also think that um, we have to uh, take the work seriously, but we don't have to necessarily take ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I love it, when people say that. Yeah. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly. <laughs> you got to be able to laugh <laughs> and you got to be able to let your hair down and let people, uh, let yourself experience that, but also let others around you experience that. Nice. So I, w- I wish I could say that I've, I've found a way to exercise five days a week. I was going to ask I, you, like, do you no, do any no, yoga? Do. Come on, Colin. <laughs> like, do we need to get you into a program here? Come on. <laughs> no, I, I would be lying if I said I, I took very good care of myself from an exercise perspective. But try to eat reasonably well and try to get my sleep the best that I can. Uh, but when it's time to relax, I really try to relax. Nice. What do you, uh, when you relax... What do you do when you relax? I like to read nice. quite a bit. Okay. And um, actually, I like just spending time with my, my wife and kids. So it's, it's nice pretty to have low a key. wife and kids that you like to spend time with. <laughs> too. I like to do that too, yeah. as a matter of fact. Yeah, so. It's, it's nice. actually quite boring and to some people, but I love it. And I don't think I do it any other way. So, Well, you're dealing with a lot of other exciting aspects of life at that point. Yeah, so I right, can imagine right. like, like boring is good. Chill. Boring is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I've got sort of a, I guess we'll call it like a big picture question of which we may have touched on little pieces here and there, but I wrote it down and I want to see if how this resonates with you. But so really on the face of it, like when we need it most, healthcare is, is just that it's care, right? So how through your work, through the work of all of your team members, do you ensure that the system can provide top care, can innovate and can care for communities the communities and your employees. How do you, and, and like, what is your day-to-day focus look like? And how do you come in and say, okay, we've got to keep this train moving. I've got the right people to do it. Now, what is your focus for the future, you know, and, yep. and to keep things rolling? Yeah, I think, the, I think the, the biggest thing you can do is engage your people. So, um, you know, as I think about it, the, the best healthcare organizations know how to engage their providers, their physicians. And so um, I put a lot of weight in that, understanding where the minds of the, of the docs are. Um, they're the ones that are closest to clinical care. They understand truly where clinical care is going. I, I can know some of that from an administrative perspective, mm-hmm. but they're the ones that are really keeping abreast of their uh, specialty and understanding where the technology is going. So it's having a really solid engagement uh, model so that you're continually sitting with your docs and your providers and understanding you know, where are their interests going, uh, what's on their mind. So that's one way of really, I think, understanding where things are going. And the same with nursing and, and having a great way of engaging your nurses. I have a great CNO, chief nursing officer, who spends a lot of time engaging with her teams. And again, really trying to understand what's the latest and greatest greatest in nursing care practice um, development and and creating um, new ways of doing things. So it's all about engaging people and having, taking the time and establishing the discipline to do that. Um, And I I think the other thing is making sure that you've got um, a plan and that you have a way of actually... How about that? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, having a plan, knowing what the plan is, and then being able to measure against mm, it. Nice. So Symmetrics. I think, yep, exactly. And, that, Which, and I think that's kind of how you kind of keep the, the, the big ocean liner going. Right, right. So, you're, yeah, your nurses and your docs are, are the ones that are on the floor, on the ground, as it were, and they're providing the care. And you are doing a number of things, including gathering the metrics to move the whole thing forward. Exactly. Nice, nice. Yep. For a lot of leaders, I mean, their their main focus obviously is on their organization, and then they're involved in the community beside that. But when you are the a CEO of a hospital, your role is very intricately linked to the community because healthcare reaches out into so many things. There are so many um, issues in our community that influences people's health and that the hospital needs to be part of. Can you talk about your role as a community liaison and how does that work in Nashua? What are you involved with? How are you working with other leaders to address community issues? Yeah, so um, we do a number of things. First, we we actually have someone whose role is dedicated to community health and relations. Mm-hmm. So this is an individual who has longstanding roots in the Nashua community, and she does a wonderful job making sure that the medical center and our and our physician group is connected to the community and is looking for those opportunities to make those connections. I'll also say Nashua Public Health does a nice job of bringing healthcare leaders from across the, the community together. Mm-hmm. And on a pretty regular basis, we all get on the phone together and we talk about what each is experiencing and how, we, how might we think about doing things differently or together. So that's certainly an area. There's one program that I'm especially proud of. It's called the Doorway Program. And in Nashua, Southern New Hampshire Health is the um, 
is the entity that provides that service. And so this is a program where people with substance use issues or challenges come to the doorway and we direct them in the community to where they can get help. And so we have to be very tuned into what are those resources available in the community. And then we actually have a, a direct hand in, in moving patients in those directions so that they can get the care they, they rec- that they need. Excellent. Yeah, those doorway programs are, are th- they're throughout the state as yes, well, they are. right? So yes, you're administering, yep. of course, the one that's yep. in, in Nashville. In Nashville. That's great. And they are a huge, huge asset to... Uh, to communities. Yeah, it's yeah. been a it's been a great program and I think we've done a stellar job administering it. And um, you know, we're conti- we're going to continue to focus on it and commit to it. Excellent. Healthcare doesn't get to stand still. I mean, it's 24/7 operation, but I mean, there's always innovations. Patients are always demanding that next step in innovation for care. So, can you talk about where Southern New Hampshire Health is in that journey. You know, what are some of the innovations that you are undergoing? What are some of the new projects? Where are you headed? Yeah, it's a very good question. I, I would say that there's a couple areas that we're really focused in on. Uh, one is, a, is in primary care. We, every month, add hundreds of patients to our primary care practices. There is an incredible need for primary care. We know that if we're going to meet the primary care needs of the community, we have to do it differently. And so we talk about things like, how do we create more access to our services? We can't just magically grow a bunch of new primary care providers. We have to find different ways of providing that care to the community. So we're looking at things like digital innovation. How can patients interact with us more digitally so that we can free up sort of human resources and leverage technology so that people are getting their interaction with the healthcare system, Mm -hmm. but it's far less resource intensive, but the patient is getting what they want and need. So that's one example. So digital innovation, especially as it relates to primary care. Mm -hmm. And we can do a lot of that through the electronic medical record that I referenced earlier. You know, another big area is making sure that we're continually investing in our operating rooms. The technology is uh, moving very quickly in that arena. So we're we're constantly looking for, you know, what are those key investments we need to make to enable where procedures are going in the future um, and making sure that we have the capability of of doing that and making sure that our staff is trained to do it. So what are some of those innovations or areas that you're investing in? So certainly in the the realm of um, advanced imaging, and certainly in the areas of robotics and um, neurosurgery has been a major area of investment. Bariatric surgery has been a major area of investment in really making sure that we can provide state-of-the-art care in those domains. You mentioned early on we were talking about what Southern New Hampshire Health is and, and its sort of infrastructure, that there's a behavioral health uh, element to it as well or facility. Um, that's huge. There's not enough behavioral health care in the state uh, or infrastructure, as it were. Talk a little bit about um, that uh, that is part of Southern New Hampshire Health and, and how that's um, helping and working in community. Super. I'm actually very excited to talk about this. Um, so as I mentioned before, we, uh, we um, operate an 18-bed behavioral health unit on our West Campus, mm-hmm. and it's a great program, uh, but we don't believe it's meeting the full need of the community. There's just a lot more um, need than we can provide today. Um, but on our West Campus, we provide that inpatient service, but we also provide partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient programming. Nice. So um, we are we have a, a pretty strong outpatient component to our work. Um, I think one of the things you may have read about recently is uh, Solution Health, the organization which Southern and Elliott belong to, mm-hmm. anoints a joint venture partnership with an organization called Acadia Health. 
And uh, this, we're actually going to be building a 144-bed hospital in southern New Hampshire, which will be a, a joint uh, venture between Acadia, Elliott, and Southern. And so we'll be greatly expanding the number of inpatient beds in southern New Hampshire. Wow. For, it will include uh, beds for children, adolescents, yeah. adult. So we're really excited about it. It's a couple of years out yep. uh, in terms of building that hospital. Yep. But I it's think on it's the horizon. A, it's on the horizon. That's amazing. And we think it's going to be um, a great asset and much needed in southern New Hampshire. I was going to wow. say, can you talk about why this is a needed asset? What's been going on in terms of what patients are experiencing in this area? Yes. So, you know, we've all heard of um, ED boarding, emergency department boarding. Yes. Uh, you know, that's been a pretty significant issue in New Hampshire, but also across the country. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with not being able to place patients in the community. And so we hold them in our emergency department for protracted periods of time. Mm-hmm. So um, with that, by creating more of this inpatient infrastructure out in the community, we can help to eliminate that problem. So patients are quickly being uh, transitioned into a more appropriate setting. Where that's focused on mental health well, services, that is focused which on it. an emergency department is not. Is not. Is no. not. Is not. In fact, within our emergency department, we actually have what's called the annex. We have a, it's a different part of the ED where we have six rooms just for behavioral health patients that find their way into the emergency department. And we have to, and we hold these patients for a period of time until we can place them in the community. It's not, um, it's not our first choice by a long, by a long shot. So um, I think if we can build more capacity in the community, uh, we can certainly start to take a big bite out of the, the ED boarding situation that the entire state and the country has been grappling with. As you look to the future, both the challenges and opportunities within the healthcare industry as a whole and in this and within your system what is going what's keeping you up at night and what's giving you hope i would say what's keeping me up at night is really making is really having a sustainable workforce mm. i think um you know having been in this for a long time um you know, I think we're we're at a pretty significant point in history in terms of the available workforce. And, you know, I think that um, that's just something that we're going to have to spend a lot of time grappling with as, an, as a society and making sure that we're creating uh, programs and support and training so that people can more easily enter the healthcare workforce. And then making sure that we have the right... Um, tools and mechanisms in place where people want to stay and stay in providing patient care and stay in the workforce. So that's the part that um, keeps me up at night. And I also think that we're going to have to do a much better job of training our own. So we have a lot of people that come into healthcare that don't start on the frontline patient care, but can we develop programs where we can bring them along so they can go from working in a part of the hospital that doesn't see patients to maybe providing patient care? So we have a lot of work to do in partnering with education and creating some of those programs so we can train our own. And what gives you hope for the future? <clears throat> what gives me hope for the future is we still have um, an incredible amount of talent out there uh, and people who want to innovate and people who just want to provide care. So at the end of it, as much as it's a challenge, the workforce piece, people give me hope that there are still going to be people that want to step up and serve and provide care for people in the community that care about their community. That's what, that's what gives me hope at the end of the day. Beautiful. Beautiful. Colin McHugh is president and CEO of Southern New Hampshire Health. Thank you to you, to your team, for being an integral part of uh, healthcare here in New Hampshire. It's a pleasure to have you. And uh, thank you so much for sharing everything about yourself and the organization. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.